Matthew chapter 21, if you didn't know, this is Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of Holy Week. This is the beginning of Jesus' journey from now from Jericho all the way to Jerusalem. He's coming into Jerusalem to do what he was called to do, to lay down his life as a sacrifice for me and for you. So Matthew chapter 21 is Jesus's, what the Bible calls the triumphant entry. Entry. It is when he is coming in to the city. It says in verse 6, the disciples went and they did as Jesus had instructed them. Some of you can just take that right there. That'll bless you. All right, just go do as Jesus instructed you. Be warmed and filled. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. They didn't borrow cloaks. They didn't buy cloaks. They took something that was theirs, and they gave it to him. A very large crowd spread their cloaks even on the road. And while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, the crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. How, how, the, the whole city. The whole city was stirred, and they asked, who is this? I, I want to take a couple minutes just to talk about this on this Palm Sunday that, that Jesus came into Jerusalem. Jesus knew what he was getting into. Jesus came into Jerusalem to die. He knew the type of death he was going to die. He knew what he was going to go through. This wasn't like a plan that Jesus and God were working on in process. This has been, this has been planned out. This has been strategized. And now Jesus comes into Jerusalem and the people are shouting Hosanna, which means save us. They, they, are, they, they, they are recognizing him with worship. Now, now I think what's interesting to me is that I don't think the city was stirred just because Jesus came to Jerusalem. Because Jesus went to a lot of cities. We, we, we see in Matthew 21 that they say the Jerusalem, the entire city was stirred. But when he went to Capernaum, you remember this? It says he could not do many miracles there because of their lack of... So there were some cities that Jesus went into that were not stirred. But on this occasion, on this Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, it just so happened that the whole city was stirred. And it makes me just wonder why are some cities stirred and some cities not? You know, when you, when you, when you read your Bible, you should ask yourself some questions. Like, not just read it and be like, man, that's so cool, the city was stirred. Why was the city stirred? What were they stirred up about? What creates a stirring? Because there might be some time in your own spiritual life that you might feel a little stagnant. And it might be important to know how to get stirred up. Did you know that it's not just about Jesus being somewhere that makes a city stirred? It's the invitation or the acceptance or the welcoming him in that creates the stirring. It was the first occasion that Jesus came into a city where the people worship. And it just so happened where the people worship that the city was stirred. Which tells me something else about God, which is really interesting, that God's just not out there doing whatever he wants to do. God is restricted or restrained by the invitation or the prayers of his people. Which is both frightening and exciting 
frightening because God like knows it all. So it'd be cool if he just did what was best. It, it's, it's exciting because I get to be a part of the equation. That, that, that God literally waits on us to welcome him in. He waits on us to worship him, to appreciate him, to pray for him to come. In fact, the Bible gives an example of prayer that is so hilarious to me. The example of prayer that Jesus gives is a widow who annoys a judge until the judge relents and gives her what she's asking for. And he says, and this is how you should pray. My God, you, you asked for this. Some of y'all wondering, like, am I too much for God? He's the one that gave us this example. Annoy him until he answers. It's like, man, God, you didn't know what you're getting with me. I'm, I'm about to annoy you. We're, getting, we're about to ask for some things. But did you know that you're a part of the equation? And, and, and I'm, I'm worried about a, a culture. I'm concerned about a culture that we live in that, that really are just a product of what the culture is. You know, in the area you grew up, in the time you grew up, and in, in, in the season you grew up, in the church you grew up, you probably took on some of what you grew up in. You are, you are a result of your parents' decisions. You're, you're, you're living geographically, maybe in a place because of your parents' decisions. We're, we're all affected by culture, but there's, there's a leadership quote that I use all the time, and our staff knows it really well, that culture is a combination of what you create and what you allow. So growing up, I used, to, I used to not like the city that I lived in growing up. It was a small little city in Washington. I don't like that city. And that was just the culture that I lived in. But when I moved and I left that city, that was a culture I created. See, some of us live in turmoil because it's where we are. And we just think where we are is where we'll always be. Did you know that, that you can actually, as a leader, you can shift, you can decide, you can begin to create culture. So culture is a business leaders. Hear me. The, you, the reason you hate your job and hate your staff and hate everything that goes on in your business is because you have allowed a culture that is, especially if you're the boss, like you can create culture. You know you can create culture in your family. My family's just crazy. We begin to create culture. Be, not just allow, like the kids are just wild. Well, let's, let's try some boundaries. Let's try some consistency. Let's try some love. Let's try to get rid of some hypocrisy. But that's, that's too much. That's too much. That, leave that, one, that, was, that was my parenting message. I got to leave that one over there. That, that's, that makes people upset. We, 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 we can create a culture that we live in. And I'm concerned about a church culture or a world culture that is shaping us, and we don't understand that we are a part of the equation. In fact, I believe that some of us, we're obsessed, as a, we're really in our culture, we're obsessed in seeing how far we can get without God. You know, you know how it is, it's like when things get really bad, we're like, guys, it's time to pray. And we tried everything, we went to every doctor on the planet, <sighs> let's pray. Man, things are tight. I've tried everything. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's time to pray. Right? Because we, we, we have got, we, we're obsessed with just seeing if we can figure it out on our own. So now this is the culture that we live in because we've allowed it to happen. But you know, you can shift that 
by recognizing that you're a part of the equation, that this Jesus is everywhere. He's entering into cities, and where he's welcomed, there is also a stirring. Or you could say this, where he's welcomed, the atmosphere changes. Did you know you can change the atmosphere of your home? You can change the atmosphere of your life. You can change the atmosphere where you work. You can change the atmosphere that you are a part of and where you are. The culture of your life is a combination. The atmosphere of your life is a combination of what you create and what you allow. Worship is so powerful. Let me just say this. Music is so powerful. We, we could right now, they could just drop a beat from the back. Some of you just start to move with that beat. Just like, yeah, I like it. You know, just, you, 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 could, you could play something on the piano just really soft, and some of you just, oh, man, it feels so good. Begin to cry maybe. Because it's, you ever been moved by music? I, I was, I was uh, drug against my will to a location last night at the AT&T Stadium. And um, before you send any emails, you know, God sent Jonah to... <laughs> Nineveh, so like I'm just God's man in that world, literally only man in that stadium, and just interceding for the Lord, and um, I don't know about you, but I'm not feeling 22 when I was surrounded by all of those women there, and um, you know what's crazy? Music is, music is so powerful. Some of you are like, what's happening? It's good. You're saved. You're a Christian. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Um, What's what's crazy is like in that concert, 70,000 people, right? Right behind me, it was like summer camp because there was these two girls, and I don't even know what the song was. I couldn't understand the lyrics anyways. I was just watching. I was there for the show, and it was... It was wild. Right there, we had like, I thought it was like a Holy Ghost encounter because these two girls, they're sobbing, holding each other like, <laughs> like the ugly cry, you know, like the, like the ugly cry. And, and I'm like, oh my, they, they're moved. That's without no Holy Ghost. That's just music. That's just music. I'm like, whoa. Music is powerful to change atmospheres. How much more so when we worship a deity, something supernatural. You know why we use music? Because music is a tool. But music is not worship. And if you're not careful, you begin to confuse singing a song with what worship is. But worship is not a song. Worship is an attitude of the heart. Worship is ascribing glory and worth to someone who is really worthy. Worship. Worship has power. Worship is always connected to generosity. You can't worship something without giving to it. You can't worship without sacrifice. Worship tells the truth about who God is. Worship needs to be expressed. Well, last night people were expressing themselves. You know, there's peer pressure to like not express yourself. Or I mean peer pressure to express. If, if you were not expressing yourself, you were the weirdo. You know, I'm like trying to just like, you know, move a little bit because I'm like, I don't want to be like singled out here. Why is it that when we come into the presence of God, that our worship is so subdued. Some of you came, there's a couple responses when people usually come to our church. First time people come to our church, it's usually one of two responses. One, tears. Like, oh, I don't know why I'm crying. I've been here for six months. I just cry. It's the presence of God. It's awesome. And then there's the other response, which is, whoa. 
this is a lot, right? So make sure some of you are nodding like, that was me. That's me today. That's a lot. Hey, everywhere the world has their expression on full display. True worship is not worship until it is expressed. I'm just worshiping my heart. No, you're not. That's not worship. You may like it. You may have some half-hearted commitment. You may have shown up. That's not worship. Friends, worship. Listen to the word. If you worship God, it should be seen from your body. It should be heard from your mouth. It should be connected to your heart. Worship is bigger than just singing a song. There's a couple things about worship, and worship changes the atmosphere. If you want to learn how to change the atmosphere, learn how to worship. In fact, you could just turn on worship music in your home. Next time the kids are going crazy, just turn on worship music. Turn it on real loud. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I'm just, just turn, it'll change the atmosphere. You could not even be worshiping, but just play the worship music, and it will change the atmosphere of your home. Because atmosphere is something that you create. But you can allow this atmosphere to take, or you can create an atmosphere of God's presence. Worship should come from the heart. If you're going to worship, worship should come from the heart. So it's, worship is not the songs we sing at the beginning. Brother, are you going to worship and praise this morning? You may have attended our worship service, but that's not worship. Worship is not the two slow songs that you sing after the fast song to wake you up. Worship is an attitude of the heart. Jesus said it like this. Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. He says, you hypocrites. Y'all love Jesus? <laughs> Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You know, for most people, they never get past lip worship, which is I'm saying the right things, I'm singing the right songs. Friends, if worship hasn't dropped down into your heart yet, you have not really worshiped. You can say whatever you want, but if your heart's not there, it's not worship. Worship is connected to your heart. It should come from that deep place. You can come to church. You can sit in services. You can sing the songs, lift your hands. But if it's not coming from your heart, it's not worship. Worship comes from the heart. Worship is a declaration of both priority and honor. Worship is a, we said this already, heart condition, not a song. That's why you could actually worship anywhere, even the songs that you don't like. I know that's, that's news for some of you. But if they don't play my song, I can't worship. You, 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 you've got to let worship drop into your heart. We could, we could play any song in here and you could worship to it. You could flip a secular song and just turn it to worship to the Lord. You could have no song and worship. You could sing your own little song. Because the Bible makes a little exclusion. He says, make a joyful noise. That's for all of us that can't sing. <laughs> Whatever we, we offer to God with our life and with our heart, that is worship. It's him having priority. It's him having that top place. Worship should come from the heart. Worship should cost you something. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were often costly, and they required the giver to make a sacrifice of time, effort, and resources. So let me say this. If worship doesn't produce sacrifice or generosity... 
I don't know if you fully worshiped. If you can keep hold of you while you worship him, that's not worship. Worship is the laying down of me so that I can have all of him. Worship is a sacrifice of my own comfort and my own desires so that I give him the rightful place in my life. I, I, I grew up in a, in a time where, man, we had wild summer camps back in the day. Some of you guys remember, there were some wild summer camps back in the 90s that just, whew, is wild. And you, you didn't really go to summer camp. You haven't really been to a Pentecostal summer camp until you on the last night have gotten convicted of all of your secular music and you have gone out after that service and smashed all of your secular CDs. Come on. Some of you are like, CDs? Don't worry about it. We, I remember, I, I grew up in the church, so I didn't have a lot of secular CDs. I wasn't allowed. And, uh, and, and, and so my friends, one time he got saved, and um, I say one time because Back in that day, you kind of had to get resaved over and over. So one time he got saved, and, and, and he, he, he brought over $1,000 of CDs. He said, I just, I just got right with Jesus again this month, and I got to give up everything, right? So we went outside, and we just smashed them. We're like, glory to God, smash. You know, we're throwing, like, Frisbees, and, and, and it's just awesome. We smashed them. And then, like, a couple weeks later, he's at the pawn shop trying to, like, find or like at the store, the record store, trying to find his old CDs because like we just smashed a lot. But it was interesting that the passion that we had was a refusal to let anything get in the way of our commitment. I talked to somebody after the last service and he goes, man, I smashed my favorite CD at summer camp. He said, I connect, he goes, I always regretted smashing that CD. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. But you know what? It was, it was an unbridled passion that said if anything is in between me and my affection for God, it has to be removed. This, those summer camps got really fun because sometimes, like um, the last night, you know, you write your sins. Anybody ever done this? You write your sins on the piece of paper, and then they have the bonfire. You go up. <laughs> You know, and you confess it, and you burn it, burn it, then you catch eyes with whatever girl at summer camp is confessing the same sin as you, and then you meet up afterwards and try to get in the church van with her on the way home. That's somebody else, somebody else. Mm. But it was from a pure heart of not getting anything in the way of our worship. Now we live in a time where we just try to fit everything in with it. Yeah, it was crazy, but at least it was radical. Now we live in a time where we just try to fit everything in. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, yeah, I know. It's a little, little demonic. Ah, it's good. A little crazy. Don't worry about it. You know, we're good. We're good. We're just all like, man, Jesus is cool with it. He's awesome. He, Jesus says, you hypocrite? That's that sweet little Jesus you're talking about. You, you, this is lip service. You honor me with your lips, but your heart. I'm not saying any of those things are in the way. I'm saying if there's any of those things that are in your way, they got to go because my worship to him has to be un.
unopposed. It has to be, there has to be no competition from a heart that's given to God. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and your proper worship. This is my life. Offer your bodies as living, this is my body. Nobody can tell me what I should. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. I'll die for Jesus. Offer your bodies as living, because we got a lot of people that would die for Jesus, they just have a hard time living for him. I love your boldness, but could you just live for him? I'll be martyred. That's cool. Could you just love your wife and your kids? That's awesome. Let's just let's save that. Save, save, save that. All of your bodies with living sacrifices. Holy. I like stepping on toes sometimes. All right. I can see some of you like, I don't like this guy. You're all right. It's all right. Lighten up a little bit. Shake it off. All of your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. Another translation says, this is your reasonable service. So many of us weigh our worship like if God deserves it or not. Well, you know, it's been a good year. I just, you know, I'm just here to worship. Would you be here to worship if you had a bad year? I remember wondering where all the prophets and all the Christians went in the last couple of years. It's funny how they disappear in the bad times. That's when the real prophets should stand up and say, I know it's dark, but I see a light. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. I know there's political chaos and economic uncertainty, but the last time I checked, Jehovah Jireh is my, that's what prophets should be I got to come on back. Is he like this every service? Yes. You know what Job said? Job said this after his family had been killed, after his possessions were lost. He says, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes. Blessed be, where is that worship? Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes, but blessed be the name of the Lord, because my worship is not dependent on if God did what I wanted him to do or not. My worship is because of who he is. My worship is not because he did what I wanted him to do in the way that I wanted him to do. My worship is because he's king, because he's savior, because he's Lord, because he's God. That worship... It's been a bad year, but blessed be the name of the Lord. It's been a tough season, but blessed be the name of the Lord. I didn't want it to end like that, but blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away, but. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost up in here. The Lord gave and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Worship should not only cost you something, but when worship comes from your heart and when worship costs you something, worship, I say should, but let me say it this way, worship will change the atmosphere. It will change the atmosphere. Somebody like, man, I, I've been worshiping all my life. You've been singing all your life. 
It's time to worship. I'm just, I'm not kind of, I'm really not like the musical guy. You're fine. Worship. Worship. You know what? Men in the room that are too tough to worship, let me just help you for a second. He's worthy of it whether it's your personality or not. And when that divine authority comes into the room, we drop our knees and we worship. It's not about, that's just not my, that's not my, stop. You've never seen him. When you see him rightly, your pride bows. When you see him for who he is, it's not about my style or the way I want to do things. It's you alone are worthy. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Worship should change the atmosphere. Matthew chapter 26. It's a familiar passage of scripture, a story that's almost always told in conjunction with worship. It's the woman with the alabaster jar. Matthew chapter 26, verse 6 says, While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. Whenever you give your all in worship, there will always be a religious person that thinks you're wasting. It's always people who have been in church for a long time. Every time. They're so stagnant, complacent. Look at the young kids worship. Oh, they're so passionate. Maybe, maybe they're just on fire like you used to be. Maybe it's not an age thing. Maybe it's a commitment thing. Man, I'm picking on y'all today. I wasn't this bad in the other one. <laughs> You're like, this hurts? Why this waste, they ask. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Now, this is, this is awesome. I got to say like, Five things real fast. Scholars believe that the jar that she broke was only valuable as long as the seal was unbroken. So that perfume was worth over a year's wages. But as soon as she broke the seal, it became worthless to the world. And we know, really valuable to Jesus. And your worship is the same way that when you really break your life and your heart and your affections at the feet of Jesus, there are some ways that you become worthless to the world, which I'm good with, but you can become very valuable to God. It says, everything we talked about in worship, she did. This sacrifice came from her heart. This sacrifice cost her everything. And this is really cool. When she broke the seal, the fragrance of the perfume filled the room. You couldn't smell it as long as it was sealed. You could only smell it when it was broken. Some of us are carrying around our cute little worship, but we never can change the atmosphere because our worship's never cost us anything. It's never, we've never just, 
when you break it. I was talking to a guy, we were talking about worship, and um, he says, I don't know if you've really ever worshiped if you haven't had an ugly cry. Talking about the ugly cry of the concert. He's like, ugly cry in worship. And I'm like, man, you know what? I don't think you have to ugly cry, but there's something to that. That I've encountered God's goodness and his grace and his beauty and his magnificence. That it touches me in a way that there's an emotional response. It's not about emotions. Listen, if Jesus can't touch your emotions, how in the world are you going to give him your heart? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, guards your heart above every, because from it springs the wellsprings of life. So everything comes from, okay, so when it's broken. Now, let me take you a little step further. Ezekiel 47, it's awesome. If you've ever read the prophets, they're like so weird. I mean, it's just crazy to think. So God gives Ezekiel this vision. 47 is, you know, 37 is like the valley of dry bones. Now 47, God shows Ezekiel this river. And he shows him that this river, as, it, as he brings him into the river, he goes in a thousand feet and it's up to his ankles. And he goes in another thousand feet and it's up to his knees. And he goes up another thousand feet and it's up to his waist. He goes another thousand feet and it's in over his head. And the, and the vision goes on that wherever the river flowed that it brought life in fact it flowed all the way to the dead sea which if you know the dead sea nothing can live in the dead sea it's good it's good because it's dead but when the river hit the dead sea the dead sea came to life and along the banks of the river wherever there was a dead tree when the river would hit it the tree would come back to life now, theologians believe it represents all kinds of different things. One of the things that they believe is that it was the messianic return of Jesus. As he came to earth, he died and he rose to the dead. He was the savior for our sins. And that river of living water that now is released to all of us brings life to any dead person or any dead thing. That's beautiful. Some theologians believe it represents the release of God's Holy Spirit that now flows as a spring of living water in each of us as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come and that wherever the river of the Holy Spirit flows, it brings life. But the problem for many of us is we've never really stepped into that river. It says he brought him in and he was up to his ankles. And then he brought him further and he's up to his knees. And, and, and my concern is that most of the Christian Christians in the Americanized church think that they're in it because they're up to their ankles. I came to church, I sang the song, I went to Easter Sunday, I even came back on Comeback Sunday. Maybe you're up to your knees, but did you know that you can step into the presence of God, the life-changing presence of God, the river of life that flows and we're at it. You know how we're going to see city transformation? Is that we have to bring this river of life, of God's presence, of his goodness, of his glory into dead places. It can't just be contained in four walls or buildings or campuses. It has to come our public worship has to become private worship. That wherever we go, we're worshipers. We don't attend worship services. We are worshipers. And when we become worshipers, when we come together to worship, this thing goes next level. So the reason I think that the entire city was stirred 
was because all the way back to the beginning. That because when Jesus walked into Jerusalem, it met an invitation. And friends, when you invite God, it will change everything. Some of you have been in church your whole life and nothing's ever changed for you. It's because Jesus has always been there, but there has been no invitation. Jesus went to Capernaum and he couldn't do anything because of their lack of faith. He walked into the room where a dead little girl was and he put out all of the doubters, everyone who was laughing, everyone who was crying. He says, you got to go. Why? He's Jesus. He has power. Why did he put him out? Because he had to create an atmosphere of faith where he was invited. Did you know that your miracle could be waiting on the other side of your invitation to God? What we're going to do in just a minute is we're going to begin to worship. This is not just a worship segment. I'm asking God to light a fire in your heart. That this week in your car, you were worshiping. You're working out. You just begin to worship. You know you can worship anywhere. But we as Church 1132 become a worshiping people. Not a church that has worship, but a worshiping people. That as we go throughout our day-to-day lives, we're, we're worshipers. When things get stressful, turn on some worship. When things get crazy, turn on some worship. We get a bad doctor's report, turn on some worship. When we're feeling anxious, turn on some worship and begin to worship. And the worship that comes from our heart that costs us something will change the atmosphere. And when that begins to happen, that river of life begins to flow through Allen and Dallas and Saxe and Murphy and Wiley and Frisco and Plano and all the surrounding areas and the things that were once dead. People thought that were far gone, too far gone. Cities that they thought would never turn around all of a sudden have life. Why? Because Jesus has now been invited. Worship draws God like a magnet. I'm going to ask all across this place, would you just stand up with me?